and we are live welcome guys to another live episode so today's episode is going to be a little different as you guys can see i'm pretty much just i'm pretty much traveling right now and as i'm traveling i was like you know what i cannot miss another live i cannot miss dropping another live episode for all the cool amazing people that are out there that watch this channel so today we're going to be talking about my insurance experience and as most of you who guys know i've pretty much i will you started out i used to be in the insurance industry i sold life insurance i sold some elemental health insurance and we're going to be going ahead and talking about the the ins and out the dark side of the insurance industry a few things we're going to cover here today guys I'm going to have make sure my notes are pulled up. We're going to talk about how the insurance agents make money. So if you're a new agent, it's something you're going to want to watch because you're going to want to make sure to know how insurance agents make money in your industry and how your, you know, what do you call it? The people who recruited you in the industry also make your money. And we're also going to talk about the structure of how to get new customers. We're going to talk about the amount of work that's needed. We're talk about how many agents quit. We're going to talk about the dangers, dangers of building a team. And we're also going to talk about the pros and cons of the industry. So if it's your first time, just do me a favor, hit the like button, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. My name is Emmanuel, and I'll go ahead and be assisting and basically talking to you guys here today on day 25 or 26 of the live. So first thing first is guys. So I wanted to talk to you guys about how I initially got started in the industry myself. How I personally got started was I used to, you know, I was I was flying airplanes and I remember I ordered Uber Eats. So I ordered Uber Eats, and when I ordered Uber Eats, this I remember this guy was like. Uh, we met, we connected because we're from the same country and we kind of just kind of like, I'd say we just pretty much hit it off. And as we were talking, you know, two weeks later, he hits me up. He's like, hey, man, I think this might be a good fit for you. I, you know, uh, are you going to be available? You know, to, when are you available to jump on a call? And I was like, you know what? I'm available now. Let's go ahead and jump on a call, which we did. So we jumped, we jumped on a call and uh, we basically went ahead and, you know, he explained to me the opportunity. He's like, well, this is what I think. You know, I think you're going to be a good fit for this because of this, this and this. Right. So long story short, I go ahead, I jump on, I pretty much, you know, start, you know, I, I was joining the meetings and listen to whatever it is that they had to pitch, whatever the, the pitch was. And as we kind of got into the industry, we, I started to kind of get into the, the, the nicks and cranny that I was basically the customer. I was basically, um, I was basically the, basically the person that was, for lack of a better word, that they were basically going to, you know, I was a customer. I was basically the some of the person they needed me to basically recruit, bring in my friends and family, and then they were going to go in and sell my friends and family. And that is kind of how, you know, the the whole thing basically started. The whole, the whole, how would I call it? The whole getting in the industry for the most part, right? Okay, so I want to talk to you guys about something, right? And thanks again, uh, Casino Mass, amazing insight. Thanks for sharing. I mean, I'm not. I, we just get started here for the most part. Uh, so just a comment here that came off of YouTube. Um, so now what I want to do is, if I'm gonna make sure the feed is good, but guys, make sure that the the feed is good because right now it's showing me that I have not the best internet right now. So what I'm gonna do right now, guys, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. And the screen I want to share, what I want you guys to see here is, I want you guys to know as to how competitive it is to actually be in the industry because most people don't actually pay attention to the fact that being in, in the insurance industry means that you are dealing with competition. You're not the only one that's in the industry. You have other people that are going for the same customers that you want. You have other people that are basically trying to get in the same works and basically, you know, make the same amount of money that you're trying to make. So you have to be very competitive because the insurance industry on its own is competitive. So let's look at this. So there are basically 881,500 agents licensed agencies agents and brokers in the united states right and this is 2021 shows 911,400 life and health insurance agents and 628,600 property 
casualty insurance agents, right? So, uh, and then you have also 62%, 62.1% of first-time insurance exam takers pass the test. Insurance agents making an average of $51,936 per year. This is more of an average. This is more of an average number. And I would say this is more of a realistic number because you actually see a bunch of numbers out there where you have people say, you can make a million dollars a month. Well, that's a million dollars a month, maybe in or a million dollars a year, whatever it is, that's gross. When you actually average it out, you actually see a much, much different number, right? And in the next 10 years, number of insurance agents expect to grow by 6%. So this is a good number. This is a good fact. But the main thing here that I want to share is, the one main thing I want to share, guys, with you, I want to share with you guys here as to how many insurance agents actually, how many insurance agents actually stay in the industry, right? And we're going to be using this. This is stats by David Duford. He's a pretty cool dude. Um, you can go check out his channel. He's, uh, I believe it's some, just look up David Duford. You'll be able to find his information there. All right. So there's going to be a bunch of ads going to pop up on the website. Uh, that's just kind of, I guess, uh, for the most part, the way, I guess, they designed it. So let's do this. Uh, I think this is an ad. I'm pretty sure this is an ad. Let's go ahead and get out of this. And this is another ad. Let's get out of that. So basically, from, from what he's pulling up in his data here, so there's basically, there isn't an exact number as to, you know, to figure out. Uh, but basically, between 90 and 95 agents quit in your first 12 months of receiving your license, right? There's various reasons why they quit. There's various reasons, various phases as to when they quit. But my, my, I'm going to give you guys my conclusion here in a little bit. But the first thing first is let's kind of go ahead and see. So, so he basically surveyed of all the former agents he surveyed, 51.5% of agents were selling final expense. So what is final expense insurance? Final expense insurance is basically the insurance that you're selling to people over the age of 50. So over the age of 50 to 83, 84, 85, depends on the company, right? Now, what is the difference between that insurance and any other insurance? The difference between that insurance and any other insurance is because um, usually the only you get the more medications you're on and older folks necessarily don't qualify for the same same amount of money uh, or basically their health condition might eliminate them from being able to qualify for a few other policies that you know a more healthy individual might qualify for and then that's kind of where you kind of get into the point where a final expense insurance policy pretty much comes in right so then you have the annuity sales mortgage protection medicare sales and um and then you have a few other products here and then the remaining 31 percent sold some other kind of products as the uh the primary product could be life insurance to whatever it is right so now so kind of dive deep, deeper in this so it says agents hang on longer than they may anticipate. So same here, here are some results. So approximately 11% of those who started selling life insurance quit within the first three months. Okay, so which means if you had 100 people to sign up, 11 of them are going to quit. And my personal belief is a lot of people quit because they get into the industry under the wrong notion. I'm going to tell you firsthand, no one, no one, well, there's a few people, but the majority of people do not get into life insurance for the purpose of Oh, I love life insurance, right? Majority of people get into life insurance because of the promise of how much money they can make. Let's just be frankly honest. Most people, you probably got into it, and that's why I got into it initially, was not because I was like, you know, oh, my God, these people are so amazing. No, it's, I pretty much got into it for the main reason why you pretty much did was um, someone told you you can make a lot of money doing it. It's a good side house. It's a good income. They told you it's work from home, all that good stuff. That did. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong in that scenario there's nothing wrong when you're saying uh when when that's been told to you but for the most part is you kind of want to make sure that you have done your due diligence you kind of want to make sure that you pretty much have your all your ducks in a row i'm going to try to see this is my option in my feet guys but let's see here and we are back. 
Okay, so okay, this is much better. Okay, and we're back. Okay, so there's a little bit of a this is a little bit of a lag, and this is what happens when I'm streaming basically while basically being on on the road. So I do apologize for the the streaming quality there ahead of time, guys. But but for the most part, is you're basically dealing with a uh, a situation here where most people get into it because of the promise of how much money they can make. Most people get into it because they're told, you know, in the insurance industry is super rewarding. You can be a millionaire overnight. You're told that you know it's 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 the greatest industry on the planet. You're told all sorts of things, which you know, thirty percent of it may be true, twenty percent of it may be true, ten percent of it may be true. But you have to come at it from a perspective of you actually doing your due diligence. You actually knowing what's out there, and you actually knowing if this is an industry that you can actually you know, go ahead and thrive in, right? So you have 11% of people who basically quit, okay? 11% quit. So you have 11% that quit within the first three months, and then you have another 19% that quit within the first three to six months, and then you have another 17% that quit within the first four, seven to 12 months, and you have about 18% quit within the first one to two years, and the remainder of about 35% quit within about two plus years after the first began. There's various reasons, but it's not an, it's not as easy as you told. It's not as easy as, as that. But you, it is a rewarding industry, right? So many reasons. Uh, quit insurance is also. Um, now this is this is basically him detailing from an independent insurance agent perspective. So he says, uh, main reason quitting insurance was also one. You have one out of three agents uh, stated that the primary reasons for failure. No one really says that they failed, but for leaving the industry is one. They ran out of money to invest in leads. Um, 26.2% voted a lack of money for leads as the primary reason why they quit. Second reason for failing out is um, basically debt by a thousand paper cuts, right? So, which is, I wanted to find out if there were multiple reasons why people quit. So, uh, one, the number one second reason agents quit sell insurance was that they ran out of money. The second was because that they ran out of prospect to sell to. The third reason was because the agency wasn't a good fit. And fourth was personal issues, right? I used to run an insurance agency and we were very successful. And I can tell you firsthand, Personal issues was not it. It's because most people don't. It's not a. It's not a something most people get into for the sake of a career. It's something you get into for the sake of just money. And when you do things just for the sake of money, you don't get the reward. You don't get the. You don't for say get that financial. How would I call it? You're not necessarily, you know, doing it from the. It, the 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 commitment you're not necessarily committed to the cause you're basically just committed to the the benjamins right and then you have other reasons where basically people complain about leads was better agent solution i mean i think about this is i i big believe i'm a big believer as to what's what solving will be solved right what we believe that we want to solve we will pretty much solve it right that's pretty much the way to do pretty much the way i like to look at it is basically what is what solving will be solved right so what's if you want to solve it, you pretty much will um, solve it for the most part. So those are kind of the few reasons why people quit here, right? So now if we kind of, as we kind of dive a little deeper here as to, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why people buy insurance, but I want to go ahead and dive into some, this is some personal stuff here. So we're not going to use, we're not really going to be using much of the, um, the screen and stuff. It's just going to be me talking to you guys here. So I have a few notes here. So, so we're going to go ahead and for this we're going to go ahead and dive into the whiteboard right and for this for this to work i kind of i want you guys to pretty much let's just go ahead and dive into my whiteboard here really quickly okay so we're in the we're in the whiteboard let's make this a little bit bigger we're in the whiteboard here right so the, the you got to think about it from a perspective of how was i recruited right so a, a common way in which people are recruited into the industry is so let's kind of come a little closer here 
A common way in which people are recruited into the industry is a lot of people are recruited into the industry. One, you either get into it via social media, right? You basically get into it via social media. Social media, in a sense, is to you saw a post or somebody posting, you know, how much money they make. You get into it, you're like, whoa, you're making 50, 100 grand a month. Or, you know, you see a commission statement and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. You know, can I do that? You get into it, right? That's come a way in which people are kind of recruited into the industry, right? Another way in which people are recruited into the industry is you have basically, um, you know, like, for instance, a friend or a family, right? So you have friends or family. So you have your friends or you have your basically your friends or you have your family members, which basically, you know, are one of the reasons why you get into the industry, right? Friends or family. So not only do you have friends or family, another reason, another reason way in which people get into it is basically you have, so let's say you, one of the common ways in which you're getting into it from a sake of friends or family is your friend is not necessarily going to say, hey, come join this. They're going to be like, hey, you want to join a business overview meeting, right? Uh, uh, called, most people call it BOM, most people call it whatever it is, but it's just an overview where they bring you into a presentation and then somebody else basically pitches you on why you should basically join the industry. Now, I'm not saying this to say bad about the insurance industry. It's a very rewarding industry, but the main thing is I think a lot of people get into things a lot more emotional and they don't necessarily use the logical part. So if you're watching this as a new agent, um, my goal is to invoke logic to make sure you get into the industry, not because you're like, oh, my God, I want to make a lot of money. But get into an issue because genuinely, you, one, you're going to make money. But two, you you come in with a heart to serve. But then also three, most important thing is you understand the pitfalls and why people actually fail. Because if you go at it, understanding that, you know, these and these things would happen. ABC will happen. This and this has happened. You know, all of this stuff. You go at it with a with a educated education or basically an educated perspective you know exactly what's going on i personally believe that you know you would get would get a lot more um what's what i'm looking for there'd be a lot more responses that you'd be much better prepared right because these are things i wish someone told me before i got in the industry and these are things that i'm telling you right now so hopefully this is basically you know helping you in some way shape or form right so You've got social media, you got basically friends and family, and then you basically might even be looking at an ad. But it's very rare that people go through an ad, but you might be looking at an ad, or you might even be, you know, watching something on YouTube where someone is giving you education and then they say, Hey, you know, go ahead and join. This is what I'm doing. This is, I think, is gonna be a fit for you. All of the um, all of the good stuff there. So there's common ways in which you recruited. So most of you might have gotten in for that reason. Now, numerous things. So usually when you get in, you promise that you can make. Uh, an average of whatever income that you can make, right? You can make about, you know, they'll tell you five to 10 grand part-time. It all depends on what company you work for. Now, whenever you say this is, I'm almost a big believer. Of, if somebody promises you something, ask them to show you proof of it, right? If they say, hey, you can make five to 10 grand a month part-time, then just say, hey, can you do me a favor? Just show me some, you or someone who's making five to 10 grand a month, just give me the review. So I give me the stats and give me the data so I can know that this is actually something's happening. If they're like, oh, well, we can't really show you five to 10 grand a month. You got to do then. Then again, it's like, you can't tell me that I can make five to 10 grand a month when genuinely you not really making five to 10 grand a month. Right. So you got to kind of look at it from another perspective. Another way to think about it is if someone is promising you a specific amount of money, then you got to understand this to, you know, when, if they're saying, if you do ABC, you become a millionaire. Then you ask them, why aren't you doing ABC? It's kind of like someone said that there was a funny joke is, I don't know if you guys ever heard the, you know, the funny phrase where people say, if you, I'm not a smoker, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do any of that stuff. But if someone tells you, if you quit smoking today and it would save you what, six, seven bucks. So that means in six, seven bucks, you'd have a Porsche or whatever it is, right? You have a Ferrari. 
right? If you quit smoking in 10 years, you have a Ferrari. And then you ask that person, do you smoke? They're like, no, I don't smoke. Well, where's your Ferrari, right? They don't have it. So it's kind of the same thing. It's do people try to lead you, tell you that, you know, the way to wealth is this way, but they're not going there, right? And that's the problem a lot with YouTube. That's a problem with social media is because people don't have the the stuff to back it up. And then you're basically making empty promises or making promises to get you in because they know it's going to work, right? It's kind of like that guy that's going to promise you, tell you, hey, you know what? I will be commit, you know, be in a relationship with you, but then has never been in a relationship ever, you know. But then again, that might work. That's a that's a rare case. But in the same, in the same kind of same manner, same instances. You kind of want to be coming from a perspective where it's like, hey, you know what? You've done it. I've been there. I've done that. So I'm going to go ahead and lead you for that. So that's kind of one other thing to watch for is you're going to get promised income. You're going to get promised the ability to, um, you know, those are the unique selling points is one. You're going to promise the amount of money you can make. And I don't want to go to tell you about how your job sucks, right? Which I think for some people, genuinely, their job actually might be in a position in which their job does in a way kind of not, it's not fulfilling, right? So there's a difference between saying, your job sucks. So if someone tells you, hey, your job sucks, okay, versus someone tells you your job is not fulfilling, right? These are two different things. So one, your job sucking and your job being not fulfilling are completely two different things because if your job sucks but you make 300 grand a year, that doesn't mean you should quit that job, right? If your job is not fulfilling and your job sucks and you make 30 grand a year, then yeah, I totally understand why you would. Or you make less than 100 grand, I totally understand why you would. That's completely that's completely fair, right? But another thing is they tell you about that, you know, how your job sucks, you can quit that and all that good stuff. Just be very, very cautious about that. And just remember, there's a saying that the this is a saying I'm gonna say to you guys is the grass, the grass is not all the grass is not always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Okay, so people are going to tell you that this lawn is nice. You're going to look at your neighbor's lawn and be like, oh, my God, I want to go to that lawn. But let me tell you, this is that lawn. You don't know what they had to do to keep that lawn green. Okay, so just be very careful when you're kind of getting into the shiny object, kind of the shiny object syndrome there. So that's that's basically another thing there. So you have basically the, the selling point of basically, you know, quit your job. And then there's a saying where they say, uh, be your own boss or CEO, right? Your own boss, your CEO, which is very interesting because your own boss or CEO. So I'll just say the average income of small business owners, which is, you know, you get to own your own business is, so this is a basically, I want you guys to look at this. So the average income of small business owners is anywhere between $60,640 per year. So ranges between $29,000 and $127,000. So you're basically $60,648,000 a year. And now I want the one thing as well that I want to kind of point out is you also kind of need to look at it from a perspective of, okay, that is what you're promising you is going to be your average income, which is going to be you making about, you know, you're going to be making 10 grand a month, whatever it is, which is hundred grand a year. Now, based off of stats, it's about eight, there's about two, 22 million business owners. And you will be basically considered a business owner. If you're a single proprietor, LLC, single, single, single uh, member LLC, single, you know, uh, um, or if you're an individual sole proprietorship, or if you're, you know, multiple member LLC, well, it depends. You're still pretty much categorized as a small business owner for the most part. So there's 22 million small business owners in America. And out of the 22 million, 87% of them make less than 100 grand a year. Okay. So 87% of them make less than 100 grand a year here. I know we all like to think we're special, but in this case, you might not be special. So don't try to don't try to act to be special because what makes you know LeBron a good player compared to other players 
is one. Obviously, he has talent, but not just talent. is the fact that he worked on the talent, right? What makes Kobe good is Kobe may not be, I don't want to kind of upset the basketball fans here, but Kobe might not be the best basketball player that there is, but he sure knows how to basically spend five, four, five, six, seven hours in the court practice and making sure that he's good and honing on his skills, right? So these are these are key things that you need to kind of pay attention to. These are key things that you need to kind of understand. These are key things that you kind of need to keep in the back of your mind. These are key things you kind of need to keep, make sure that's kind of like ingrained in there for the most part is understanding that being your own boss does not necessarily mean you make the most money. Now, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a funny, there's a funny, um, funny meme. And let me see if I can find it. So Grant, so Grant Cardone basically spoke about, I don't know if you guys know Grant Cardone is Grant Cardone, obviously he has the stuff, but he spoke about how, um, basically, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? Grant Cardone spoke about the Coca-Cola, uh, CEO, um, made what, uh, 50 million and, you had basically the what do you call it? Pepsi CEO made fifty million, and then you had Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett made you know five hundred million, right? So Warren Buffett, let me see if I can find that. Warren Buffett made five hundred million. Yeah. So no, that's not that's that's yeah. Okay. So. And then, you know, that's that's something that, that can be, you can look it up for the most part. So um, the average, you know, Coca-Cola CEO made 50 million, Warren Buffett made 500 million, right? So I, I'm going to see if I can find that and link to it later. So that's kind of one thing I want you to kind of, kind of look at it. And that's one thing I want you to kind of take into account is the investor. Buffett is an investor that makes half a million, half a billion, quote unquote. You can verify the numbers. And then you have the actual person running the company, CEO reporting to the board is actually making $50 million, right? So now how does this apply to you per se is I want to, how does it apply to, it applies to you in a perspective of thinking about it is being the owner of a company does not mean you make the most money because everyone attributes the owner makes the most money, but you have to think about it from a perspective of if you are the owner of a company, you get paid last, right? So let's say you have, you know, your goods, whatever it is, right? Let's say you invest in, you spend on leads or whatever it is that you, you you pay for, right? Let's say the typical owner of a you own a flower shop, right? So let's say someone who owns a flower shop, all right. So one, you pay and buy inventory, right? Let's say you know you have five grand, you buy inventory for three grand, all right? You pay your rent and that's maybe eight fifty, right? So let's say you're now like thirty eight fifty, right? So you're left with about what eleven fifty. Right. After that, you go ahead and what you, you pay your bills after you pay your bills, you know, you pay your staff, assuming, you know, for the week, you pay them what $600. Now you're left with, you know, 550. Right. So out of this five grand, you're basically keeping less than 10%, right? And that's the lifestyle of most, that's the life cycle of most small business owners because most small business owners don't necessarily make that much money because the reality is they pay everybody else first before they pay themselves. So what ends up happening is they basically, you know, you have them here. Um, you have, you basically have them here. Yeah, they're sitting at the top, but, you know, they've paid Jane, they've paid Joe, They've paid Jack, they've paid Jill, they've paid all these people. So then again, it's like you work for everybody else. You don't necessarily work for yourself. So technically, you're not really making any money because for you, you know, there's a Bible verse that says, let the greatest amongst you be a servant of all, right? Servant to all. And for you to be a leader, you have to understand that you have to be a servant to all. So necessarily owning your company, owning your own agency for the most part, which is a promise, is not necessarily like, um, lack of a better word, going to say, you know, 
uh, the best idea, right? You might want to take on the, the role of an investor because owning your own business comes with its own set of uh, problems and its own set of perils, right? So that's kind of the whole kind of uh, shebang that you promise. Now, I'm not speaking necessarily to any company. Like I said, I haven't, you know, that's, they're good companies, they're great companies, phenomenal companies out there. Uh, but you go ahead and do your due diligence and pick the one that's the most best for you. I can't recommend anything to you because then again, I have no affiliation with any any insurance agency or insurance insurance company. They're all independent. No one pays me to talk about any of this stuff, right? So when you get into it, there's a few products that you're going to sell, right? There's a few products you're going to sell. So you're gonna you're gonna have the companies that are like, okay, we only focus on, you know, you're gonna have the companies that say we only focus on filing expense, right? Which is basically another code word for uh, another code for senior policy. Okay, senior policy. So, what is senior policy or final expense? Final expense is basically think about it from a perspective. A final expense is basically um, selling to people who are over the age of fifty, between the age of eighty-three, based off of the fact that they may not qualify for your traditional life insurance, which is you know something where like a term policy, right? Most of you don't know what a term policy. A term policy is just basically. A policy that basically says, you know, we'll cover you for 30 years, right? For 40 bucks a month, for 1 million, an example here. So basically, you have 30 years. If you don't die in 30 years, then you give them all the money. They keep all the money you've paid. But if something happens to you, then they go ahead and pay your beneficiary, whatever your beneficiary is. That's basically the example of what uh, term policy is. Now, most seniors don't qualify for it because... Most insurance companies look at their medical records. They look at your medical records and then they say, hey, you know what? You take, um, what is a, there's a field of medication out there. Uh, like you take blood pressure medications, right? You take uh, basically blood pressure medication, you diabetic medications, okay? Do you have neuropathy, all right? Okay, what about, you know, uh, angina, chest, you know, chest pain? What about basically, you know, are you on COPD? These kind of things, right? So these are kind of things that kind of negate you from actually being able to use and kind of um, use a traditional, get a traditional insurance. So this is where a fund expense policy comes into play. And usually they usually lower face amounts. So usually you get them for less than 50 grand. That's the most that will cover you. And they're typically just a whole life policy. So they hence they build cash value, which is honestly, you're never going to see the cash value, if you ask me. Uh, you might. Who knows? But that's basically it. You see less than 50 grand. That's kind of the whole um, whole shebang of the whole whole deal there. And they usually, that 50 grand could be costing you from 300 and maybe 80 bucks to like $400 a month. Also, it depends on your age if you're like in the 70s, right? But I don't think anyone in the 70s are watching this because no one in the 70s watched it. So that's a fine expense. So you have another one, which will be a, you know, your traditional life insurance, right? You have a traditional life insurance, which is basically you have either your term or you have your whole, right? Now, this is not, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I have no interest in selling you guys any policy. So at the end of this, it's not going to be a call to action to go buy a policy, but just to basically educate you. So you have your traditional, you have your term, you have your whole life. So you have a term, you have your whole life. Um, your term, your whole life. And this is just basically speaking on the life side because I focus a lot more on the life side. So um, on the term and the whole life, it's just basically, like I said, term expires, doesn't expire. Actually, they all expire. So so term doesn't term expires at a specific time. The only, only time in which a whole life will expire is, one, if you lied on a policy, they'll cancel it within two years. Or, two, if you stop paying, making your payments, you stop making your payments, you pass the 30-day grace period. And you've been paying for five years 
and you know you cancel your payment you stop making payments you're like hey i guess you don't need it anymore they cancel it and then they keep the money you have to understand that insurance insurance i want you guys to understand is is uh what percentage of um pays out so i want you guys to understand is to if, if we look at the numbers here so so here we have this number here that says uh term policies are found around so just to give you guys an example of like if you actually would use a policy uh term policies are around three times cheaper than permanent life insurance on average because the chance for payout on behalf of the policy is less likely 0.99 of all uh term policies never pay out so which means one percent on average will pay out so which means if you have two million people to sign up for term life insurance on average only what uh two million is two hundred thousand about well, two thousand will actually pay out right so the insurance companies banking especially when they sell these cheap policies they're banking on on you missing your payments right because if you miss your payments one they make money right so they're banking on you one missing your payments and two they're banking on you know one you miss your payments or you expire right uh, whole life policies usually have a higher payout rate if people keep making your premiums. But usually what happens is people stop paying and making your payments and then they lose the policy, right? That's an example there. But as we kind of dive into it there, so you have your term, you have your whole life, right? Whichever one decides to tell you to sell is whatever it is that's in, in the best interest of the person you're selling to. The next one you have here is you have your mortgage protection, right? Mortgage protection is just another code word for life insurance, okay? The only thing is you have different policies. You have a few policies that say, you know what, at the end of, the, and I love this one, where at the end of the 25 or 30 years, you get your money back, right? So at the end of 25 or 30 years, if they say, hey, you know, so 25-year term, 30-year term, if as long as you keep paying for 25 to 30 years, you get your money back, right? So this is a gamble for the insurance company, right? So the only way that basically the gamble is this is they're gambling that you don't keep making your payments. They're gambling that by 10 years, 15, 20 years in, something happens, life happens, you stop making a payment, and then they never have to give you your money back, right? So it's kind of a gamble. But if you are diligent for 30, 25 to 30 years straight, if you are diligent for 25 to 30 years straight and you keep making your payments, they'll give you 100% of your money back. And what do people use this for? I mean, multiple things. I mean, um, usually some people just use it towards you know paying off their mortgage right now a good selling point that most insurance agents would do is they'll tell the people they'll be like hey rather than paying an extra hundred or two hundred dollars a month towards your mortgage why don't you use this extra hundred dollars or two hundred dollars you're paying to pay for life insurance policy and if you pass away your your family's covered and if you don't pass away you outlive it you get your money back those 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 sides of it are pretty much good i, I always recommended everyone i have life insurance i've, I've always had it I was recommending everyone does have it because if you do have it, for the most part, what ends up happening is when you do have it is your um, – we don't know what life's going to happen. You know, you never know when God is going to be like, hey, it's your time. Let's go chill. Uh, but, you know, you never know what might happen, what, you know, what this might happen, what that might happen. So you never know, you know, what necessarily. So it's something good to have, but I wouldn't say – get it for the sake of, you know, stop making the extra payments because most of you know that if you, most people never look at the, uh, the amortization calculator for whenever they're paying their mortgage. So I want you, I want to pull this up for you guys too. Um, so this is one, I haven't used this one, but this is going to be one from Google, right? So amortization calculator, 
Um, let's go ahead and see if we can use this um, uh, this calculator here. So I'm going to go ahead and share this. So usually what they tell you is they tell you, hey, put an extra the extra $100 extra payments that you're making. They tell you to take that money and invest it in, you know, in a policy, right? Which is sounds like a phenomenal, great idea, great stuff to start. But is that necessarily ideal? It honestly all just depends on you. But let's look at it from this standpoint here. So let's say you have a $330,000 loan or let's say you have a $400,000 loan. And let's say you have a 5.27% interest, $400,000 loan, and your loan start date is this, your total cost of loan is 796. So 796 means you're paying total in the interest of 396,958. So which means you're almost literally paying back double, right? So that's the thing is most people never do the math. Most people never do the math as far as like, you know, I get a loan. Once I get a loan, no one, most people never do the math and say, hey, you know what? Uh, yes, it's saying 5.2%, 7%, but based off of compounded interest, I'm actually paying back, you know, my loan plus 100% of everything back. So actually the bank is 100% making money from you because we know that the bank's never made that money. Somebody else deposited it and it took depositors money to give out loans. So it's like basically printing cash from thin air. They love it, right? So now most people, what they say is like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make extra payments. So I'm going to make an additional, you know, $300 a month. Right. So people are going to make additional year payment every and then I'm going to make it every uh, and I'll make $300 a month. So now you notice how my interest literally how by making an additional $300 a month, I, I went from paying $796 to $688. So which means they save you save about a hundred grand just by paying an extra $300 a month towards your loan, which to me is kind of fascinating if you ask me. Now, most people might even say, you know what, I'll pay an extra $500 a month. And now extra $500 a month. So the more money you pay extra monthly or more monthly you pay extra annually, that extra payment or uh, whenever you have, you make an extra payment, it actually reduces. It actually reduces how much money you pay off the loan. So that's why I always recommend people who, you know, get a mortgage to always pay more than the minimum payment because when you pay more than the minimum payment, you reduce the amount of money you're paying in interest. It doesn't matter whatever loan you get, but always pay more. That's just my, was my recommendation, but this is not necessarily a finance class and I'm going education, edu educating you guys on finance, right? So that's basically mortgage protection. So if someone tells you, hey, stop making extra payments, I would never recommend you guys to stop making extra payments because make stop making extra payments is actually going to cost you money on the long run. And you're looking at maybe $100,000, $120,000 on the long run. So I would say still make extra payments, but also still keep a little policy for the face amount of the house to be able to cover the house if something were to pass away. So that's another policy people sell mortgage protection. Now, what is the difference between more selling mortgage protection and selling um, like a traditional insurance or traditional life or traditional whatever it is? The difference is where you're dealing with. Let me let's make sure this is this is working just fine. The difference is when you're selling when you're selling a traditional mortgage protection, and for this I'll use FE. Is one you? It's all about the customer you're selling to. Most people that buy final expense are usually retired or on social security. Most people that pay that are on mortgage protection because remember to get a mortgage you actually have to have income. You have to be able to show income to the bank, right? So the bank has to show your income, verify your income. So which means you have you have verified income, okay? And then two, you have a job. So which means one, people on mortgage protection they usually get higher policies, okay? And versus people on final expense usually get a lower premium on your policies, which means they really don't necessarily pay as much money uh, towards your policies as opposed to people who are basically on mortgage protection. So that's kind of a factor that I want you guys to take into take into account and keep in the back of your mind as you kind of go ahead and do this um, as you pretty much jump into it is 
one, would you rather sell it to people that are like kind of barely surviving on social security? Because the average social security, I'm gonna show you guys this the average social security income, which is kind of crazy. So the average social uh security income is um if you're looking at this, so this is like this is actually on the high end here where you're looking at the average social security income being 1783 here. Okay, this is it's saying it's 1783, but I've seen them as low as 800, 900, 1100. And if you look at it, social security is something that's actually depleted and there might not be enough of it left, you know, when the next generation comes to retire. So that's kind of something to kind of take into account, it's kind of something to kind of keep in the back of your mind as you basically going ahead and doing whatever it is that you're doing ahead, you know, doing. Pay attention to that, okay? So, uh, and then we kind of go ahead and let's see here. So it's basically kind of, you know, as far as another product. And then you have basically your, the next product that you kind of dive into here is you have the product called the Index Universal Life Insurance, right? So the Index Universal Life Insurance. So what I want you to think about the Index Universal Life Insurance as is, let's go ahead and start afresh. So what I want you to think about the Index Universal Life Insurance as is, I want you to think about, let's just start a new page. Uh, the Index Universal Life Insurance is basically, think about it as basically money in the market, right? So it's like, you know, your money is like, this is your money, there's a floor. So let's say you had a hundred grand and then the market went down 50%. It's not gonna happen, let's say market went down 50%. So you, now the market went down, so now you have 50 grand. So now, how much does the market has to go up for you to get to 100 grand, right? So that means if the market goes back up 50%, that's 50% of what I'm currently at, right? So give an example. Market goes down 50%, you end up with 50 grand, right? Now, if the market goes back up 50%, that's 50% of 50 grand, which is 25 grand, right? So which means now I'm up 75. So which means the market has to go up another 100% of whatever the drop was for me to basically go ahead and recoup my money, right? So which means you need to get an almost 100% increase to go back up to 100 grand, right? And what an index universal life insurance is, is it basically gives you life insurance and also gives you, you know, you know maybe 2 to 3% annual return on your money, right? So let's say you get a policy for 300 bucks a month. So let's say of that 80%, so let's say... Well, let's say 60%. Let's say 60% of 150, 150, 10, 10, 10. So, so let's say 180 bucks. So $180 goes towards actually keeping your cost of insurance. And then, you know, you have another 120 that goes towards the market, right? And all this means is your money's in the market. You're getting in about a 2 to 3% interest. But the bright side is you, if the market goes down, remember the example, goes down 50%, your money doesn't go down. It's floored at usually at 0%. It all depends. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into the numbers of what's guaranteed and what's not guaranteed. Those are things that which you can kind of discuss with your financial advisor. But that's one of the products people sell. Now, what's what's kind of good and bad about it is when you sell, when you sell the uh, when you sell in final expense, um, it's usually you can make it a one call close, which means people pretty much when you sell in final expense. Pretty much people will you know you can call and then you know you can on the spot you can you can sell on the spot. For final expense, okay, you can sell final expense on the spot. You can sell life insurance on the spot. You can even sell mortgage protection on the spot. But and when you start dealing with investing, investing products, usually about you take about two to three points of contact. All right, what does that mean? That means that you know you have to. People will see that they need to review what the returns are. You need to go over it with them. They need to say, okay, that's something they want to do. And then you kind of, you know, go ahead and go with it. So you need about two to three points of contact before you actually close the deal because you're dealing with investment products. So it's kind of like an investment product. That's why it's called an index universal life. So 
Most people stay away from index universal life because it's a little bit more in the money market, but some people do like it. Um, I, I would recommend it. It's a little slower to build money, but I would recommend it from the sake of the part that you're actually building a relationship, right? And people actually see more of a, a better incentive than just life insurance to keep the policy. So one of my few federal products would be mortgage protection. And I would also recommend like an IUL. And then you also now you're dealing with another product called annuity. I never really saw an annuity, but annuity is just basically kind of like a life insurance. But the only difference is you people are actually drawn out of it. And usually they live in off of it, you know, in their older, older age. That's what annuity is. That's another product you can sell. I never sold one, so I can't really talk about it. But they do pay good commissions off of uh, off of that. Um, and usually annuities usually require like moving from some sort of other investments, like, you know, from a, you know, you move from a Roth to a 401k and then you roll it over into an annuity, right? So basically you move it. It's like, think about it as a 401k life insurance. That's basically what an annuity is. But the difference is you can actually access it. This is a 401k. If you're less than 59 and a half, you're taking a penalty and all that good stuff. So that's another thing to kind of keep in there. Now, on the health insurance side, there's a few health insurance uh, products that are out there. I'm not going to talk about the health insurance side. Like I said, my knowledge on health insurance is very limited, so I'm not going to go ahead and talk about that. But on the life side, there's a kind of a few things to kind of keep into into play. Now, now you've heard the products. You're like, okay, there are multiple other products that are out there, but usually they kind of come under that same umbrella. So you know, whatever company you work with might call it whatever it is that they want to call it. But uh, for the most part, that is the simplicity and the simple. Uh, the simple part of it okay now as we kind of get a little bit uh we're, we're kind of almost wrapping up here guys so um so the next thing here you want to kind of think about is the personality types of people that struggle that's another thing i want to talk about is the personality types of people that struggle in in in, in this is people who are like if you're not a people person so if you're not a people person if you're like oh i don't like talking to people i don't like being around people i'm not social then you should probably not be in um, you should not be getting into the life insurance sales. You shouldn't be getting into sales because sales is a people. It's a people job, right? Insurance is a people job because people buy from people. Okay. People buy from people, right? And if you don't like being around people, then don't do it. I recommend going into maybe insurance adjuster claims and any other field that is more of like stay in the desk or stay behind the desk that behind the scenes that might be more rewarding for you than actually that. Um, what else we got here? We have uh, so that's pretty much one. That's that's another thing. Is if you're a people person, uh, then you got pretty much, you know, um, if you are uncomfortable with talking to friends and family, I'm gonna say this: the way the insurance the insurance business works is kind of like a pyramid, right? It's kind of like a pyramid. You know, you have the person here, 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 right? Usually, the person at the bottom, which kind of sucks, is the one that is basically taking care of everybody else. Right. So it's kind of like you have the guy at the top, but basically feeding off the bottom. It's not an ideal model. But then again, it's it's a model that works. But the reason why it works is because people allow themselves to be taken advantage of. So that's why I say you do your due diligences. So usually what's going to happen is you're going to be told once you start selling a lot, whatever company you're in is going to tell you, hey, you know, what? you should bring your friends and family in here. Your, fr your friends and family should come in because when you bring your friends and family in, you know, you can whatever they sell, you make 10 percent. Right whatever your override commission is, right? You make 10%. So what does that mean? That means if they sell $1,000, you make 100 bucks, right? And they're like, that's passive income, right? Because you're not working, they're working, right? I'm like, that's, that's, that, that doesn't make any sense because if they're not working, if you're not working and they're working, at some point, they're going to feel like you're taking advantage of them because you're not giving them any support. You're going to have people who quit, right? So 
kind of catch 22 to kind of keep it keep in mind when you're dealing with that so um so the 10 passive income all that good stuff so just be kind of realistic uh per se with is you're going to be in a point in which you're going to be offered this so you might have to bring in your friends and family to come sell but i would just say be very brutally honest with them and make sure to give them the support if you do do that and also understand that if they fail you will lose that friendship and that relationship so be very careful about bringing in friends and family into the business right so one of the things here we're talking about income of how you can make money in the in the insurance industry is um let's see so one of the ways in which you can make money in the insurance industry as we've, we've kind of shown in there is you can make money via what's called override commissions right override commissions is basically um think about it from a perspective of you're making money from a perspective of let's just go ahead and erase that board real quick yeah so override commissions so you're making money off of the perspective of you know somebody else is working here in the bottom and then you are here and you're making a 10% might even be 20%. Depends, you might even be 30% off of whatever it is that they do, which pretty much sucks. But that's something there. So you have overhead commissions. The other one you have is basically unearned commissions. So unearned commissions is basically, so think about it from a perspective of what is unearned commissions. So unearned commissions is basically unearned. So the way insurance company insurance basically they pay you out is let's say you have someone this is i'm speaking just for independent um uh, for the captive side i'm not going to talk about the captive side but independent right so let's say someone um pays 100 bucks a month right and your commission level is 90 percent of that 90 percent of that right so 90 percent. So what does that mean that means you multiply that by 0.9 which is gives you 90 dollars, right so this is what the commission will be at times nine months or times 0 0.75 which is nine months will give you let's see times 0 0.75 would give you uh 90 this is multiplied by nine months it's it's basically if you multiply that by nine months we'll just multiply that. i had the math wrong uh multiply pi multiply that's by nine months, we give you about $810 would be your commission. So which means they would pay you this commission within 48 hours or whatever it is of the client making their first payment. Okay. Keyword is the first payment. Client makes your first payment. You get nine months of the premium advance. And then month 10, you get the remaining three months. But it's called unearned. What does that mean? Is money's not real. So what does that mean? That means that if if the client has only paid, you know, three months, right? Let's say you are the client pays. For three months and then they canceled your policy so that means that you know they paid you 108 uh 270 dollars so they paid you 270 out of 810 so you have 810 right they paid you they paid you 810 you've earned 270 so every time the client pays you earn that commission it's earned but if the client stops paying you basically are now looking at unearned commission so if you're looking at 810 minus 270 the client cancels now you owe back 540 bucks Okay, so now you owe back $540, which means what does that mean? They're not going to like draft your account for $540. What's going to happen is next time you write a policy, let's say you write a policy with $1,000 commission, they will take out their $540 from it, right? So which means they will only pay you $460. So that's where kind of most agents quit is because of the chargebacks is because especially when you sell final expense, is final expense has about a 30% chargeback ratio, which means you're going to be dealing with a lot of cancellations, a lot of cancellations. So which means it's like chasing your own tail because for every time you write a policy, if you write, if you write 10 grand and every month you write 10 grand, 3,000 cancels, let's say 3,000 cancels the first month, right? So boom. Okay. So the next month you do 10 grand again, 
you do another 10 grand again. So now three grand is already canceled. So now you're down to seven grand and then another three grand canceled. So now you're down to four grand. And then it just becomes a point in which you're just in a negative. You're in a whole five friends. People usually don't keep it because they can't support it. Right. So that's why I don't recommend people sell final expense. Um, this is actually might end up running long. It's not going to run too long, guys, because I have a meeting to jump into shortly. Um, but that's another one that we have for the most part is you have the final expense side of things. Uh, what else do we have? We have, um, so that's basically a type of commissions. And then you also have a residual commission. So usually residual commissions is, let's say they've kept it for the first year. The next year you get basically 7%, 6%, 8%, whatever it is annually, as long as they keep your policy, you basically get it for some people it usually ends around maybe nine years or 10 years. It actually kind of stops, right? So let's talk about ways in which you can get clients right so this is kind of like as we're kind of wrapping up here ways in which you can get clients so there's usually you know you have the friends and family right which is the ones where they tell you has no money they make you make a list of your top 25 or top 100 and then you call them and tell them hey i have found this opportunity that i think you might be a fit for and then what ends up happening is it's not like you're calling them sometimes you're calling them to sell insurance you are calling them sometimes and be like hey to sell but most times what most companies do is you call them to recruit because when you sell them the opportunity, now they're in the opportunity. And then what you have to do now once you get them in the opportunity is to basically uh, give them a call is to basically because now they like believe in the product. You can tell them, well, are you going to sell insurance when you don't have any? Oh, no, you're right. Then they go ahead and get it. And then they get it with your writing number. And then you go ahead and make a commission. Oh, what? All right. So that's kind of another way you, people, you know, you get the customers is, you know, the selling recruit. My handwriting sucks. Just deal with it, guys. Um, and then the next thing that you have here is you basically have the uh, buying leads. OK, so buying leads. Now, I'm going to tell you something about buying leads. So buying leads is basically you're purchasing people's information. Now, you purchase people's information from, let's say, somebody filled out a Facebook ad. So what happens is you have an agency. Right. So the agency basically runs an ad. They get, uh, let's say this, they get Joe to fill out the form. So Joe fills out the form. They, they sell Joe's information to you for $10 or $11. You call Joe and then you hopefully you sell Joe a policy. Right. That's basically a lead. Right. And that's comes from lead vendors. Right. You can also do the same thing yourself by running your own Facebook ads. If you want to do that, you can go ahead and email me at emmanuelrazionresults.com. If you want to do that, I'm sure you have to do it. You can join the um the rising mentorship group, rising the road to 30. So um, so you have that basically where you have the lead vendor sells you the information, you get excited, you purchase information, and then you know, hopefully you go and sell policy. So that's one way. Uh, but the downside with that is with lead vendors, is here's the downside with that is that person, Joe, is once Joe, because Facebook or whoever it is, shows the ad, multiple people's ads to the same person. So whoever it is might be like, you know, might fill out, you know, ABC lead vendor, fill DEF, and then you have GHI. So you have maybe 20 agents called, 30 agents calling the same person, which now ends up, you know, you end up dealing with some frustration. Somebody else sells him, and then you show up, and then you, like, try to sell them, and then you sell them, and then somebody else comes behind you, sell the policy, and then now you're dealing with chargebacks. So that's a catch me to doing, you know, purchasing from lead vendors. So that's another one. And another one you have is word-of-mouth referrals, which is basically people basically just giving you referrals. Um, and then also another one is basically you could just do this, is make content on social media, and people will find you. 
because I bet you from this video, someone's going to reach out. I'm like, hey, do you sell insurance? And please don't reach out because I don't sell insurance. Uh, I'm not an insurance agent, so please also don't, uh, or insurance agency owner, so please don't ask me to join an insurance agency. I have no insurance agency. I'm not selling you anything, okay? Uh, so please don't ask me that. But if you want to join the coaching program as to learn how to grow your business and grow your agency, then yes, I can help you with that. But I cannot put you in place with anywhere else, please. Um, and then obviously, those are kind of a few ways to get clients. Um, and also make sure that when you get started, just a kind of an FYI, a tip, when you get started, make sure that you are basically getting training. Make sure that you're getting training. Make sure that you're training you. Making sure they're giving you the ability to watch them sell. And don't sign up with anyone that tells you um, to yes, come join us. You know why we we you make an extra ten grand a month because what ends up happening is they come in, you join them, and then you realize it was all a facade, and then you try to leave, and then they say you can't leave because. You sign the contract, and the contract said you can't sell insurance with that company, whatever carrier they have, for six months, right? So that's usually what ends up happening. So that, guys, is basically kind of a summary. I kind of wanted to keep it short. There's a few other points I wanted to cover, but like I said, guys, I got to prepare for my meeting. And uh, it's a pleasure having anyone else who joins me. I know this is not a sexy topic, but this is a topic that I believe that we kind of need to talk about for the most part. And obviously, it's a pleasure having everyone else that was on this live today. And if you think about insurance, obviously, like I said, always do your due diligence for the most part uh, as far as uh, how insurance goes and also learn the trade okay but usually when you get in your first six months understand your first six months it's all learned so i don't recommend quitting your job if someone's telling you quit your job and go full-time don't do that the first because remember they're going to be telling you they do want abc but usually whatever is working for them it's not going to work for you because think about it, if somebody else is already doing it whatever is already working is already kind of like out of sync and now you're going to try to do it and it's not going to work for you and then now you're going to be doing building a point in which you're going to be drowning in debt and you're not going to have a lot of money that's not a case for everybody but you're not special no one's special. So I'm not going to. So let's kind of just tone it down a little bit. Make sure to understand whatever it is you're getting into. Understand that everything takes time. Be willing to be patient and don't overinvest in leads. OK, because people are going to tell you don't over, overinvest in leads because when you overspend on leads, what ends up happening is you're going to get people who don't answer the phone. That's normal. You, you're about you're only going to get a hold of 25 percent of your leads on average. All right. Twenty five percent. So if you buy 100, only 25 will answer the phone. And out of the 25 that you're able to get. With them might be wrong numbers, right? So don't spend thousand, two, three thousand, four thousand. Because remember, that same information is being bought by someone else. Okay, so just be kind of very careful as to what you do out there. This is just basically a cautionary tale. But that's all I got for you guys. And obviously, I can always say, for the most part, is I always like to say, 